I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, joining you on this bank holiday here in the UK. Of course, the Queen celebrates her golden, is it golden, platinum? I think it's platinum jubilee. Um, it all confuses me, but basically she's been on the throne for 70 years. And so we've got a couple of extra bank holidays here in the UK to celebrate. And uh, and we get the opportunity to uh, spend it hopefully in the sunshine with our friends and with our families. Um, I'm not a big royalist, if I'm honest, but never say no to a couple of days off. So it is what it is. Let's enjoy it. But that means we've got plenty of time to be bringing you another edition of the Press Review Show. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing Noah Lang, who claims that Arsenal made an approach for him back in January. He's also been uh, a little bit, I don't know if cocky is the right word, with some of the comments he's made about his career going forward and the impact that he's had on Belgian football whilst playing for Club Bruges. We're also going to be discussing Lucas Torreira's future uh, reports that the deal for Gabriel Jesus is edging ever closer. We'll also be talking about Zinchenko and Aaron Hickey, who both featured in that World Cup qualifier uh, last night between Scotland and the Ukraine. OK, um, <laughs> let's say a few hellos before we get on. But there was one comment in particular that I really, really liked when I was sort of waiting to go live. Uh, from Henry, who said, Good afternoon, H. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth was only nine years into her reign the last time that lot from Middlesex won a league title. They've only won one during her entire reign. The Queen of England. She's been on the throne for 70 years. And the last time Spurs won the league was nine years into that reign. And they've only won one during her. It's just an incredible stat and one that made me chuckle and one that made me laugh. So big shout out to Henry uh, for that. Thank you so, so much for sharing, mate. Uh, big hello to Peeny Ween, to I'm Always Right, uh, <laughs> uh, to Diagene, uh, to Troy, to Elia, who says, um, I'm from Belgium, Harry, and Noah Lang is an absolute baller, but he's absolutely batshit crazy. Definitely not someone Arteta would be interested in. This is the point I was going to make. We'll come on to it in a minute, though. We'll, we'll discuss exactly what has been said, exactly what, um, you know, what type of player he is. And I'll share my sort of bit of knowledge around him, the bits that I do know. I'm not a massive Noah Lang expert, but I have done a bit of research. So we'll go on to that. Um, big hello to the Tobago Guna, who says, good morning to the great Harry, straight out of the beautiful twin island state of Trinidad. And Tobago, so glad you are back. Thanks for the good, and I might add, sensible work as always. Thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, Lynn says, this guy has a huge ego. Good job he hasn't been signed or it could have caused problems. Uh, lots of people having a similar opinion on Noah Lang. As I say, we'll get into that in just a moment. Um, Matt says, uh, here I am in the US finishing up a long shift at work. Wishing we had a queen so we could have a day off today. Brilliant. Um, CJ says, uh, did you see how well Zinchenko played in the midfield yesterday? I did. And we'll come on to that in a little bit. Faris joins us from Toronto as well. Uh, big hello to Snipe.Genius, to Tebow, to Derek, who joins us from Australia, to Paul James, to Fatality DMB, to everyone basically in the live chat box with us right now. Okay, 
let's um let's get into it then. So Noah Lang, what has Noah Lang said? Because I think a lot of people have kind of taken this um you know in in, in a different context. I think some people have taken this as Noah Lang is somebody that Arsenal are pursuing right now and is a main target for the club. I don't think and I don't believe that that is the case at the moment. What he said um, when talking about Leeds United, who were, uh, of course, interested in him uh, during the last window, he said he ended up talking about Arsenal. I don't know how the conversation got to there. I haven't seen the full interview, but he said, because of one, bec- sorry, let me start again. Because one of them only really left at the last minute, and he's talking about Aubameyang, they wanted to hire someone quickly, but that was no longer possible. Talking about Arsenal. And then he spoke about the interest that Leeds had and how concrete that was and how that how Leeds made a number of bids for him and that that deal uh, almost got done because negotiations took place. And it got so far along the line that Leeds United's representatives went out to um, meet the players' representatives, I think, in the Netherlands. But just circling it back to the Arsenal bit for a moment, Noah Lang is claiming that Arsenal looked at him during the January transfer window when it was clear that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was leaving the club. He is suggesting that the club made a move, made a, a, a contact with his representatives or with Club Bruges. It's not specific um, what exactly he's talking about, but he does suggest and claim that Arsenal were interested in him. But because of how late in the day it was, because of how late in the window it was, that deal wasn't able to take place. Now, when I think about this and when I think about Noah Lang and, and what a player he is, I, I can see why you might be interested. I mean, I've watched quite a few clips of him this morning and I've done a fair bit of research on him today, etc., etc., um, sort of in the lead up to this show. And what really struck me about Noah Lang is he's somebody who is incredibly confident, incredibly um, strong in his belief in himself. I think he's somebody who shows so much composure. I mean, I watched a clip, right, which was, um, it was titled the, the 26 goals or whatever that Noah Lang has scored for Club Bruges. And when I was watching it, every single goal that he scored, he almost takes like one more touch than you'd expect or one more touch that you think is necessary, which to me highlights that composure that he has and the ability to just stay calm in those moments, put his foot on the ball, assess the situation, process the situation, and then make the right decision. So I was really impressed by how ice cold he seems in front of goal. I was very impressed by how confident he seems to be in his own ability. And if we look at some of the comments that Noah Lang has made uh, in the last uh, few days, um, he says, believe me, Belgium will miss me when I'm gone. I gave your football colour. Next season, you will pray that there will be a Noah Lang walking around in Belgium who can also play football so well. Now, according to reports in Italy, this guy is on his way to AC Milan. According to Gazetta, uh, they say uh, that a fee needs to be agreed between AC Milan and Club Bruges, but they're quite close in terms of meeting the club's valuation, which is said to be around about 22 million euros. So I don't think that Noah Lang is coming to Arsenal in the future. I don't think that he's somebody um, that fits in with what we believe Mikel Arteta and Edu to be looking for in terms of character, in terms of personality. As I say, 
He seems very confident. And to a degree, you need that. You need self-belief to be an elite sports person. You need to believe in your own ability. You need to believe that you can do it and you need to be able to block out the noise. So I'm glad of all of those things. But I think that there's a fine line between being self-confident. You can be self-confident quietly. You don't need to be arrogant. And I think that some of the stuff that Noah Lang says and some of the things that he sort of puts out in terms of messages and the way he comes across at times can certainly be perceived as arrogance. And, and I don't really like that. So that's where I am on Noah Lang. Undoubtedly an incredibly talented footballer, uh, somebody with a lot of ability. And if we look at the season he had in Belgium uh, last time out, 31 appearances, seven goals and 12 assists, definitely more of a provider then a goal scorer. He also appeared in the Champions League for Club Bruges, but he didn't really manage to make an impact in that competition. Just the one assist in his six uh, appearances. Scored a goal in the Belgian Super Cup as well. One goal in the Becker van Belgie, uh, which is one of the domestic cups. And a couple of assists in the JPL playoff as well. Normally a left winger. Um, normally starts from that position. But as I say, if you watch some clips of Noah Lang, you'll see somebody who's quite keen on drifting in field and, and, and a lot of his goals come from positions within the penalty area where he's obviously arrived from a wide area, drifted into those positions, undetected, managed to make those late runs and get himself uh, as that spare man and then being able to take advantage of the opportunity coming his way. So definitely someone who gets into the right positions, definitely someone who's not afraid to drift in terms of his positioning. Um, and, and I do think that Arsenal probably need to bring in another winger this summer. And I think we've talked a lot about the likes of Serge Gnabry and, and various others. Cody Gakpo as well is a player that's been heavily linked with Arsenal too. Noah Lang's personality puts me off is the bottom line around this. And, you know, he claims, as I say, that Arsenal went for him or, or made some sort of contact, some sort of approach, or at the very least, some sort of inquiry during January when, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, um, or, or it became clear that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was, was on his way out. Now, this is the thing, right, because a lot of people sort of claimed and, and suggested during that January window, and, and especially in the aftermath of it, when it had slammed shut and we'd not brought in anybody in terms of a replacement, a lot of people said that Arsenal didn't go for anyone, that Arsenal weren't looking at players. And we know that Arsenal were interested in Vlavic. We know there was an inquiry made at the very least, about Alexander Isak. And we're now hearing that Noah Lang was somebody who was also considered. So Arsenal were actively trying, clearly, to do something. But as I've said repeatedly since then, um, you know, you, you don't want to get sucked into doing a deal on the basis of panic that isn't going to be the right deal moving forward. And look, every transfer has an element of risk to it. I say this all the time. It's like my transfer window catchphrase. But you've got to be as sure as you possibly can be when you're going and spending vast amounts of money. And at this point, Arsenal um, find themselves in a position where it's so important that they bring in the right people to, in order to continue the progress because you can quite easily sort of lose your way. You can quite easily take two steps backwards by signing the wrong players, by bringing the wrong type of attitudes to the dressing room. And, and that's my big fear with Noah Lang. Unbelievably talented footballer. And I do really look forward to seeing how his career pushes on and what he goes on to achieve if indeed that move to Milan materialises. Because I think Serie A 
is obviously, well, I don't think I know. It's a much bigger stage than the Belgian league. And I know it's an opportunity for him to really put himself in the shop window among the very, very elite clubs in Europe. So interested to see how that goes. But that's uh, that's the bit on Noah Lang. Looks a really talented player. Um, claims Arsenal were interested. Claims that Leeds were very, very interested in him as well. Has made it clear that he'll be leaving Club Bruges or his intention is to leave Club Bruges this summer and has spoken what I would describe as arrogantly uh, about the fact that he thinks he's had a huge impact on Belgian football. Maybe he has, but let other people say it. You don't need to say it yourself. Um, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about Lucas Torreira and his future. Now, his agent has been on the radio talking about his future and has revealed that he is desperately trying to come to an agreement with Fiorentina. Now, that suggests to me that Arsenal are in the place with Lucas Torreira, like they were with a number of other players in recent years, where they would be willing to just terminate his contract and let him go. I don't think, based on what I've heard um, from some people who cover the Italian game, that Fiorentina are in a position to meet the asking price, uh, which we think is around about 8 to 10 million euros. Fiorentina, whether they want to or not, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, sorry, whether they can or not, I don't know. I think that there's probably a bit of um, them playing hardball as well. I think they believe and they probably trust and they probably get the impression from Lucas Torreira's representatives that something can be arranged with Arsenal whereby his contract can be terminated. And therefore, he's desperately, his agent that is trying to negotiate some sort of contract with Fiorentina moving forward. Now, I understand that the, the issue at the moment is not so much with Arsenal, who, as I say, I think have resigned to letting Lucas Torreira go and cutting their losses. But I think the issue is a contractual one uh, between Lucas Torreira and the club. I don't think he's too happy with the salary on offer and I don't think he's too happy with uh, the way the bonuses are structured from what I've been told. So Lucas Torreira... Uh, future still very, very much up in the air. Uh, also on the Uruguayan, uh, as uh, Fares points out in the chat, uh, Reno Gattuso is said to be interested in him as well. Uh, of course, he is the Valencia manager. Now, if you remember, Gattuso took over Fiorentina at the start of the season for a very, very brief period before he decided that he wasn't going to get what he'd been promised by the club's ownership and by the club's hierarchy. And an agreement was uh, was found for him to walk away. Now, Lucas Torreira has played in Spain before, okay? But I understand from what I'm told that Lucas Torreira's preference is to stay in Italy. That's where he made his name. Lucas Torreira, of course, um, you know, broke through, got onto people's radars based on his time at Sampdoria. And from what I understand, his preference would be to remain in Italy over Spain. But that is an option. And that is a possibility for him should an agreement uh, with Fiorentina fail to be reached. But as I say, I don't think Arsenal are the ones standing in the way of this one. I believe that Arsenal would be, um, I'm not going to say happy to do it because you never want to be happy to cut an asset loose and, and essentially for, forfeit or forego the right to receive a transfer fee. But I think Arsenal would be quite content uh, with the fact that, you know, it is what it is. It's not going to work. The, the, the story with Torreira is over. Let's move him on. So I think the problem here is the contractual terms between Lucas Torreira and Fiorentina. OK, uh, moving on. Gabriel Jesus, the Brazilian, has been heavily linked with a move to Arsenal throughout the duration 
of the summer so far, ever since the season ended. And prior to the season ending, there was a lot of talk about Gabriel Jesus and the potential of a move from Manchester to London to join up with his former coach, Mikel Arteta. Some reports are suggesting that this deal is edging ever closer, but I don't know that that is the case. Um, we've been told that he's going to cost around about £40 million. And I've seen some uh, Arsenal content creators and some of the journalists and some Arsenal fans suggest that that sort of money is just way too much to pay for somebody who's in the final year of his contract. But the point here is that this might be the way that you get him, right? You let him uh, run down that contract, then he can go anywhere, okay? And he has the choice of a number of clubs. There won't be that many clubs in Europe that are able right now to spend £42 million on Gabriel Jesus. Now, it does sound crazy and it does sound out there. The fact that you're talking about someone in the final year of his contract and that you'd need to pay such a vast amount of money to get that deal done. But Arsenal can do it if they really want to. Arsenal can. Arsenal can afford it. Whereas some of the Serie A clubs that he's being linked with Barcelona, who he's being linked with, and a number of others are in a financial position whereby they would probably have to say no at this point based on what Manchester City are said to be asking for. So if I was Arsenal and I really wanted to get this deal done, of course, I would try and negotiate the best price possible. Of course, I would try and drive it down as far as I possibly could. But paying a transfer fee is just part and parcel of it. And if that means that we can get this deal over the line ahead of anybody else steaming in, then great, let's do it. Uh, because I think he'd be a great addition to the side. I've seen some people suggesting, uh, Lynn's brought it up, that she saw uh, a report saying that he'd had his medical uh, with the football club. I have seen those reports. I have seen those rumours, but I don't know that they're true. Uh, and I wouldn't want to say they are without knowing that for sure. Um, but look, if he has, great. You know, if he hasn't, then there's still work to be done. Uh, Dave Atkinson says, just because you can afford it does not mean you have to do it. No, it doesn't, mate. But Gabriel Jesus right now, OK, is for me is a, is a 50 million pound striker. OK, now, if you take away the if you take into consideration the fact that his contract is going to go into the last year, then, of course, that shaves some off the price, doesn't it? But the question is, how much? How much does that devalue him? You know, Yuri Tielemans is said to be available for 25, 30 million pounds. He's going into the final year of his contract. 25, 30 million pounds is still a substantial amount of money. And you're taking him from a club that are nowhere near as financially strong as Manchester City. So when you factor all of these things into place, A, Manchester City don't need to sell anybody because they've got money coming out of their backsides, okay? Um, B, there'll be a number of clubs interested in Gabriel Jesus because he's a player that's been playing at a higher level than us, who's been winning titles, who's been going very, very far in the Champions League. And so you have to do something as Arsenal Football Club that puts you at the front of the queue. You have to do something that makes you the bigger appeal because we don't have the Champions League football and we don't have the ability to pay crazy wages. Um, you know, we will pay a good wage like Arsenal always do. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Arsenal need to kind of more than just convince Manchester City to sell him to us. They have to convince the player that this is the place for him, that we desperately want him. And I don't know about you, but if someone was willing to pay 
35, 40 million pounds for me in the last year of my contract. That would scream to me that I'm an important part of their plans. That would scream to me that they are desperate to have me and they really, really want me. And I'm not saying it's the be all and end all. And I'm not saying that we should be bent over and completely ripped off by Manchester City here. But I do think that we've got to act like a big club. And if that means going out there and spending a little bit more than what you or I uh, or the rest of the fan base feel is fair, if that's what it takes to get the deal done, then that's what it takes. And I think the club in recent seasons have shown that they'd be willing to do that if they think it's the right decision. You know, they've ripped up contracts worth millions of pounds just to get people out the door quicker. They've paid over the odds, in my opinion, for a number of players. Ben White, good player. Very good player, player I've really enjoyed watching this season. But £50 million, based on what he'd done prior, that was excessive. But Arsenal knew that's what they needed to do to get that deal done, to get it over the line. And the same theory, in my opinion, can be applied to Gabriel Jesus. If you're going to go through it with a fine tooth comb, if you're going to look at the, the pros and the cons, and if you're going to take into consideration his current situation, then, of course, you would argue that £40-odd million pounds is, is probably given his circumstances a little bit too much. But sometimes, as I say, in a competitive market, you have to go above and beyond to get what you want. And if Arsenal really want Gabriel Jesus and we can go and get that striker for 40, 42 million pounds, that feels like a pretty decent deal to me. So I would, um, I'd be all over it if that is indeed true. Um, big hello to Sam Tresida. Thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate your kind super chat donation um means the world to me thank you so much he says um thank you harry keep up the great work get the likes up people yes please do let in fact let's check in where we're at on the likes at the moment because uh there's uh, a fair few of you watching us at the moment but we've only got 34 likes on the board so please do hit that like button if you haven't done so already um Terry Scott says 40 mil for Jesus is too much. So a lot of people do feel that way. Um, but if that's what the situation requires, like if that's what we need to do to get that deal done and to bring him to the football club, then I'm all for it. Um, I really, really am. Uh, we're going to come back to your questions in a minute. OK, so um, so hold fire on them and we will address them. After I just bring you a couple more bits, Lorcan does say on the Jesus thing, 35 to 40 million pounds for a highly rated proven striker with a wealth of Premier League experience seems fair to me. And I have to agree. I mean, when you think about, you know, uh, you know what, hold on. There's, there's an example here that I want to bring up and I just want to confirm what the transfer fee was so that I can, um, so that I can share uh, with you guys. Here we go. Look, in, on January the 4th, 2019, Bournemouth, Bournemouth Football Club paid £20 million to sign Dominic Solanke from Liverpool. Bournemouth paid £20 million to sign Dominic Solanke from Liverpool Football Club. Now, somebody tell me that Gabriel Jesus is not worth at least double Dominic Solanke. And there you have it. You know, to us, these prices seem crazy and they seem unfair. And I understand that his contract situation makes a lot of people feel like we should be able to pick him up on the cheap. But it isn't always as easy as that. It isn't always as simple as, as that. Um, and, uh, and and if we want him, that's what it's going to take. You know, it, it puts us at the front of the queue. It puts us in a position where we can negotiate with him 
it puts us in a position that a lot of even some of the big European heavyweights cannot be in at the moment. Barcelona can't do it. Real Madrid can't do it. I'm not saying that they they all want him, but the point I'm trying to make is that financially, the Premier League has a huge advantage over everybody else at the moment. And if we have to use that advantage and flex our financial muscles a little bit to get to the front of the queue, then so be it. Let's do it. Let's improve the team. I don't care about the money. I don't care about how much money Arsenal spend. I don't care about the profit and loss sheet. All I care about right now is that Arsenal this summer go out and build a better, stronger team. That's what I want. Okay, uh, so that's the latest on uh, Gabriel Jesus. Uh, moving on, who watched Alexander Zinchenko yesterday for Ukraine against Scotland? Ukraine obviously uh, beating Scotland by three goals to one and booking their place in that World Cup uh, playoff with Wales. Um, and Zinchenko operated in that midfield position. Now, if you remember on the stream where we were talking about Zinchenko a few days ago, I think it was Matt Tomo pointed out that when he plays for Ukraine in the midfield, he is so, so impressive. And he was again yesterday. He was pulling the strings. He was carving that Scottish defence open time and time and time again. Now, I agree that in the Premier League, he's going to come up against a much tougher task. He's going to come up against much better sides. No offence to to any Scotland fans, but they're not at that level. They're not at an elite level. They proved it yesterday. They didn't turn up. They really struggled. And I thought defensively, you know, after um, particularly in around about what, in a period of about 50 minutes, I think I read a stat that they were opened up by Ukraine on 14 occasions. And more often than not, Zinchenko was involved in that. So he really did go out there at Hamden Park in a high-pressured game, uh, in a cauldron of an atmosphere, show his experience, show his ability to handle the occasion and just strutted his stuff around the Hamden Park pitch and, and was very, very impressive. So that's only reinforced my view that if, and it is an if, Zinchenko is available, we should be doing everything that we can to try and make that deal happen so that he can come in and strengthen us, not just in the midfield, where I believe he's best, but also provide us ample cover at left back as well. That's the beauty of Alexander Zinchenko, his versatility as well as, as his quality and technical ability on the ball. OK, um, also in that game played uh, Aaron Hickey, the Bologna uh, defender who is being linked with a move to Arsenal. Now, his performance was a little bit underwhelming, I thought. I mean, I thought he looked good in flashes. I didn't think he was great overall. Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh. I have to remember that I wasn't impressed with Scotland. And that then obviously plays a big part, doesn't it, on how you assess an individual player. According to whoscored.com, his player rating was six and a half out of 10. So that means there was only one, two, three, four, five players in the Scotland team who were better than that, according um, to who scored. I, I thought McGregor was, was Scotland's best player by a country mile. Other than that, I thought they were distinctly average. Hickey did play on the right, though. We talk a lot about him playing. As a left wing back, he played as a right wing back yesterday with Robertson on the other side. So again, proving and highlighting what we've been talking about with regards to him in recent weeks, and that is his ability to play on either side and to do it relatively comfortably. So, um, yeah, Hickey in uh, in people's eyelines yesterday, not his greatest game for me, but that doesn't really change my mind on whether I think he'd be a good signing. Still believe it would be a decent acquisition as long as the money is right. Still very, very young. Very, very young. And you've got to remember that. But the Zinchenko uh, thing was the big takeaway for me for that game. Um, you know, somebody who could certainly add 
to this side. Um, also, uh, there was the finalissima between uh, Italy and Argentina. Argentina uh, running out winners and very comfortably in the end as well. And as O'Malley points out, Nahuel Molina, uh, the Udinese defender who's been linked with Arsenal um, just a few weeks ago, was uh, very, very impressive. Enjoyed what I saw of him as well. Okay, um, that's enough in terms of updates today because there isn't really an awful lot going on. I, you know, normally I sort of get up and I look, um, you know, normally I just get up and I look and I, and I see lots of different things and there's lots to talk about and there's lots to pack together and then we can make a show out of it. But on on this occasion, I found it a little bit dry when looking around for stuff. I found the Noah Lang stuff quite interesting because of, what I perceive to be the arrogance he's shown and, and his claims about Arsenal making an approach in January. Um, and then there was a few sort of minor updates on the likes of Torreira, Jesus, and, and I obviously wanted to talk about Zinchenko and Hickey's performances last night. But outside of that, there's not a great deal going on today. Uh, perhaps it's because it's the Queen's Jubilee and everybody's on holiday and chilling and relaxing. There's nobody to write those stories. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, Get some of your questions in. Let's take some of your questions for the last sort of 10, uh, 15 minutes of the show. While you are doing that, just want to quickly remind you that if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button on the video. Um, only got 52 likes on the board. There's no reason why we shouldn't be on around about 100 right now. So let's try and get there ASAP. Please do hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you're listening via uh, the podcast, on Apple, Spotify, Acast, any of those places, uh, then please do leave us a review as well. That really, really does help. Um, okay, let's take some of these questions then. Uh, this is this is a good point from Lorcan. It's not a question really. This is like a statement, but it, it sort of backs up the point that Gabriel Jesus would probably be a, a really solid acquisition. He says, uh, sorry to um, relitigate this again. But Laka, Nketiah and Aubameyang scored 13 Premier League goals between them last season. Surely Jesus could hit that mark or more given a full season. I think that that in itself encapsulates one of Arsenal's big problems last season. And although we'll look at the striker situation and we'll say that is the priority, we still need to lift up the level of outputs from other areas in the team as well. We need Saka, Smith-Rowe to keep pushing on. We need Martinelli to contribute. We need Odegaard to, to up his contribution. We need the odd goal as well from the deeper line midfield players, whether that be Granit Xhaka, who got, I think, one in the Premier League this season, whether that be Thomas Partey. We need a little bit more from, from the rest of the team. But certainly, if you can go and add a 20-25 goal in all competitions striker, that makes a big, big difference. And that is what I believe Gabriel Jesus could be. And that is why I'd be quite, I don't want to say happy to see Arsenal spend £42 million on a player whose contract's running out. But that is why I'm, I'd be okay with it. I'd kind of, if it were me on the board, if I really did feel and think that this guy could make a difference, I would probably sanction that deal uh, to be done now. What else have we got? Um, Matt Tomo says... Uh, who you got on Sunday, Ukraine or Wales? Be careful with your answer, Harry. Uh, look, I think that right now, everybody that is a neutral, if you like, it, is really happy to see Ukraine doing well because of everything that's going on, because of the fact that, you know, they're, they're going through a really, really difficult time. And it just kind of brings a sense of normality 
it kind of brings a distraction, a welcome distraction from all the difficult things that they're going through and, and the war that's currently taking place in their country. I, I completely get why people get behind Ukraine for that reason. By that same token, though, I think that if I were Ukrainian and I'm not, if I were, I'd still want to be judged on footballing merit. Um, I mean, I heard something yesterday. I think it was Graham Souness who said that FIFA should just put Ukraine in the World Cup regardless because it keeps their name in people's minds and at the forefront of people's thoughts whilst all this is going on so that the, the cause isn't, it's never going to be forgotten by Ukrainians, but so that the cause isn't overlooked, um, et cetera, et cetera. I'm of the opinion that you still got to do things on sporting merit. And, and naturally, Ukraine are going to have more support from the wider world and from neutrals because of that. And that's fine. But I don't agree with Graham Souness's comment of just putting them in. Um, you know, that for me is, is that damages the integrity of our sport. And our sport is supposed to be something that we turn to for solace and, and as a distraction and as a break from the realities and the, the horrors of, of sometimes real life. So, no, I think they um, I think they should have to earn it like everybody else. And and I hope they do do it, but I hope they do do it the right way. I'm sure, you know, it's not in their hands. And Graham Souness was just spouting. I don't think FIFA would, would do what, what he suggested. Um, but I'd quite like to see Ukraine for the reasons I, I've discussed as well. And I think, I don't know, man, I think they could offer more at the World Cup than Wales. I mean, you know, Wales is, is Gareth Bale. Um, you know, if he turns up from time to time, they've got a chance. And there's a couple of other players in there that can can have an impact on their day. But I don't know. I, I quite like Ukraine. There's a few players in that team I, I enjoy watching. So I'd, I'd quite like to see them make it. Uh, the Welsh people are not going to be happy with that, are they? <laughs> I promise you it's uh, it's not. Um, I promise you it's not personal. Uh, what else have we got? Um Pete Geary says, out of all the players we've been linked to, which one is the most realistic? I think that both Tielemans and Jesus are, are probably the two that we've been linked to the strongest up until this point. Remember, the window isn't open yet. So some of the panic we're seeing on social media from people just needs to be curbed a little bit. Uh, but I think they're both realistic targets. I really, really do. I think that with the arrival of Haaland at Manchester City, that does make it much more difficult for Gabriel Jesus to establish himself as a as a you know, a starting striker week in, week out. And I think he's at the point where he wants to be that now. I think his relationship with Mikel Arteta is a big help for us. I think the fact that Pep Guardiola um, speaks so glowingly of, of Mikel Arteta shows that at least within the walls of Manchester City, he's hugely respected and, and that wouldn't have gone unnoticed on Gabriel Jesus's part. He's also worked with him as well. So he knows firsthand exactly what he's all about. And I think that that the Edu connection, the situation that City find themselves in with regards to his contract and the situation the player finds himself in, I think makes it a very realistic prospect. I think that Yuri Tielemans is realistic as well. I do. I think that Arsenal is clearly an upgrade on Leicester City in terms of the size of the club. And of course, this season, uh, we were much, much better than them. And and I think that, you know, Yuri Tielemans is in that weird place because... He had a, a really good season the season before and everybody was talking about him going for mega money. And what might have worked in our favour is that he's had a bit of an underwhelming season this time around in comparison to the standards that he'd set previously. And while you always want to sign a player, of course, on top, top form, the fact that he's had that little dip 
probably means that Arsenal have a greater chance of signing him and he's kind of, I don't know, got lost from the kind of thoughts of, of some of the bigger teams currently, which opens the door potentially for us to move in and get him. So it's weird because I, I still think he's got loads of ability. I still think he's got loads of talent. I'd still love to have him at Arsenal. But you can't deny that in comparison to the seasons prior, Yuri Tielemans' level just dropped a little bit. And as I say, I think that that, that could open the door for us. It just means that if we get him in, we've got to find a way of rediscovering and reinvigorating the very best of, of Yuri Tielemans. And you hope that Mikel Arteta can do that. Uh, let's continue through the chat. Yorgos says, not a question, but Jesus would be a great player for us, but paying over his price is not the way to show him we really want him to come. Uh, winning fourth place and going to the Champions League would have. Yeah, but that's done now and we can't do anything about that. We can't, go back and finish fourth. We can't go back and qualify for the Champions League. All we can do is look to put that right come the end of next season. So I, I take what you're saying, and I think you're right in that it would have been an easier sell had we made the Champions League, but we can't go back and change something. So the other the other way of showing him that we really want him is to be open to the idea of, of paying a transfer fee that we might feel based on his current contractual situation is a little bit over the top. Um, so that's that's my my view on that. Um, Lynn says, I agree with you, Harry. If this is what it costs to get the Jesus deal done, so be it. I don't want Newcastle getting above us because they're prepared to spend a little bit more on players. Um, is I, I'm always right. Is that Inter Yanan? Have you changed your name again? And have you changed your picture again? Um, he says, when Arsenal fans were crying about Ivan Tony and his comments about a striker, doesn't last season back up his point. Nobody was nobody was saying that Ivan Tony didn't have a point about about the fact that the Arsenal strikers were were somewhat misfiring. The point was that it was unprofessional and it lacked respect for players who have achieved far more in the game than he has and probably ever will. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang um, was one of the players that he was indirectly or directly, depending on what what way you look at it digging him out. And although he had a bad season last season and although, you know, the situation has, has gone the way it has, if you compare their careers uh, so far, there, there is no comparison. And I don't believe Ivan Tony will ever regularly play Champions League football or, you know, will will get to the level that Aubameyang peaked at. So I think it's disrespectful. And that was always my point about it. Um, and, and I think I stick by that. I think that's fair. Uh, let's take a couple more. Uh, Jay Walker says, do you think Lakonga will play the number six position for cup games next season? It's a good possibility, but it's it's difficult because when I done it, I did a lot of research on Lakonga prior to us signing him or sort of in the lead up to that signing. And I didn't really see him as a number six. I saw him as more like a number eight. Um, and that was based on what, what my observations were. So I, I thought he was someone who liked to carry the ball, liked to get forward, who liked to break lines, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't really see him as that player with the positional discipline to be that lone anchor. And, um, and I thought that in our system at the time where we had two defensive midfielders, if you want to call it that, he might have sort of done quite well with a Xhaka next to him or a Partey next to him, someone a little bit more disciplined. The idea of him playing the Partey role um, 
you know, is is probably what I think Mikel Arteta has in mind for him. But I think there are a lot of adaptations that need to be made to his game before he'll be ready to do that. So I think that might be the long term plan. And I think you might see some of that in, um, in as you say, some of the cup games, maybe the Carabao Cup, etc. next season. It's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, you might even see it in the early stages of the Europa League. But I think we'll get a better indication of what Mikel's intention is for Lokonga in the longer term, uh, of course, uh, in, in those cup competitions for sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's take this one from Lorcan, who says, what do you think of of this next season? If Tommy Asu is unavailable, Ben White should play it right back and Saliba plays in Ben White's usual position. We need to move on from Cedric. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a possibility. Um, but that the reason I was reluctant to say we should be doing that and bringing Holding in, for example, moving White out to right back was because I didn't feel that we had a centre-back at the club on the same level as Ben White and Gabriel to be able to slot them in. Now, William Saliba might be that. He might not be. He might still need some work. He might still need uh, some time to develop and adapt when he returns from this loan spell. I don't know. Um, But obviously, if Saliba does perform and does fit in quite seamlessly, then that feels like a much uh, more effective way of of dealing with things. I think we've massively suffered from having not just one, but both of our fullbacks out at various points last season. Um, But I do agree that, you know, if we want to move forward, we probably do need to upgrade on Cedric, who, by that same token, I think did a a decent job um, when filling in. Uh, Let's see. uh, Let's combine these two questions because I'm just running out of time from Alan, who says, who are the midfielders you think Arsenal can get? I think we need two. And Harish says, apart from Tielemans, I don't see any centre midfield links. Are we looking for a CM Harry? For me, we should look to go bring Mateus Nunez uh, in. He's a very realistic uh, target and a very good player. So I'll combine those two questions together. We haven't heard an awful lot of midfield links at the moment, but the summer is young. We're not even um, at the point where the window is officially open yet. And actually, sometimes just because you don't hear a link doesn't mean that nothing's being worked on. Uh, how many times over the years has a deal come out of nowhere and uh, caught us all by surprise as Arsenal fans and people who cover the club? So I'm not too stressed about it at the moment. I think that if Xhaka stays with Partey, Lekonga, Elneny's obviously signed that contract negotiation, uh, contract extension, I would actually rather that we signed one top-class centre midfielder than try to, just like I said about the striker position, spread ourselves too thin and brought in two average ones. So I think with Xhaka, Partey, a new midfielder, whoever that might be, if it's Tielemans, Elneny, Lekonga, I think will be in a, in a relatively decent position going into the season. Uh, Let's see what else uh, we have. Hold on. Um, One second. I'm just uh, reading some of your comments. Uh, Uh, Son of Ian says, it's so refreshing to hear a reasonable, thoughtful, balanced point of view amongst the chaos of Arsenal fandom approaching such an important time. Harry, you are like a meditative, did I say that right? Meditative medicine. Thank you uh, so much, mate, and appreciate your support. Appreciate you being here as well. Oh, yeah, Zinchenko. Um, it just jumped into my head. We were talking about midfielders. If we could get Tielemans and Zinchenko, wow. Wow, what a position we would be in moving forward. Can we afford both? I don't know. You know, that's the big question. But as I, I, I guess my overriding thought going into this window is, it's not about quantity now. It's about quality. Uh, 
Yes, the squad is a little bit thin. And yes, we could do with it bolstering a little bit more. But at the end of the day, you don't you don't actually build properly unless you add quality. And over the years, we've had big squads of distinctly average footballers and we've suffered from it. So I really want to see Arsenal say, you know, yeah, we're a bit short. OK, but let's go and get four players in this summer of a very high calibre who are going to instantly impact the team and improve us, um, you know, rather than being obsessed with the numbers of it all. I think that, you know, we've seen smaller squads can be successful. We've seen that with Liverpool. And now, you know, five, six years into their development, they're at a point where the depth is incredible. And that, But that's been built over time because Jurgen Klopp's not been... Um, you know, Jurgen Klopp's not been someone who's just jumped at every opportunity and jumped at the idea of, of needing to have 23, 24 top-level players. He's always wanted to build on the quality first and he's added quantity as he's gone along. So I think that's the blueprint. It really, really is. Uh, Terence says, Harry's like a Mediterranean salad. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Anwish says, uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room, the role of Tim Lewis. In transfers, according to rumours, he takes the final call. Maybe we're a little bit harsh on Edu. Listen, Edu and Arteta are the football faces at Arsenal Football Club, but they're not the only ones that call the shots. They're not the only ones that have control. They're not the only ones that make these decisions. Maybe they're the ones that instigate these decisions. Maybe they're the ones that go out and identify the players and perhaps they're the ones that are leading those processes. But they do need to get sign-off and they do need to get the buy-in of others. And that's just the reality of it. Um, and and you're right, you know, sometimes, like for example, in January, we were sort of really critical of, of Edu and really critical of Arteta. How do you know that, you know, Arsenal were told, you know, or, or how do you know that they weren't told, no, we can't afford this or we can't do this or we're delaying this till the summer because that's the way the club wants to do it. You, you don't know that. And this is the big thing as well. We're so quick to point the blame in certain directions and very often in football, uh, we hear, don't we, that, um, you know, that actually there was more to a story some years down the line. And um, and that that's the reality of it. So, yeah, you're right. There are other players, that, uh, other players in this and there are other people who have significant roles to play. So we've got to be uh, a little bit more um, understanding of, of the way the structure works. Look, I'm going to leave it there just because I am uh, pushed for time today. Uh, but we will, uh, of course, be back tomorrow with another edition of the show, uh, of the Press Review Show, where I'll be bringing you the latest uh, Arsenal stories doing the rounds. And tomorrow you can catch me live on TalkSport 2 in the afternoon from 3 till 5 p.m. We'll be talking all things transfers. We'll be talking some Arsenal, I'm sure, as well as a number of other things. So I'll catch you guys uh, then. Don't forget to leave a like on the video. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new. We still haven't hit 100 likes yet. Come on, what are you waiting for? Enjoy the rest of the uh, Jubilee Bank holiday. Enjoy the day off tomorrow as well. Uh, enjoy your weekend. But I'll be back very, very soon uh, to keep you across all the Arsenal bits. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. And I'll see you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.